You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You know, there are moments in time, I guess, things in history that happen that really hit you a little harder than they should. Um, so I know this is going to sound like this is like, what is he still going on about? But trust me, just listen through this one, Jeffrey. You know, there are times, like, for example, I assume for a generation previous to mine, when Wayne Gretzky gets traded to the LA Kings or when he retires or when Mark Messier retires or if you want to even talk about, I don't know, um, when Michael Jordan retired, right? Those are, like, things that happen in your time when you go, holy shit, an era just came to an end. Right, Jeffrey? Yeah. I think we had one of those for at least my generation, my childhood today. But not today, this week. Um, so you know how growing up, you know, in school, people choose bandwagon teams, right? Uh, speak for yourself, Daryl. I just want to point out that I was a Kings fan before 2012. Even though they were an eight seed, I, was, I continued to pile on and love them. And now that they are rebuilding, I still love them. Did we prove last week that you were a fake ass? Uh, this is, I am not dealing with this fake news bullcrap again. Uh, I don't know about that. Last week we kind of showed everyone. I'm not dealing with it, but okay. So that my, my point doesn't change. Okay. So, you know, one of, and one of the teams that people like to pile on was, was the Blackhawks. You know, just a perennial contender always got it done. Right? Yeah. And I think that came to an end this week, right? Like at the at the same time, I think the last couple of years we kinda all saw it happen, but you know, we all just like, eh, you know what? maybe they do something that just like makes it work. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I can see where you're kind of going with it, but like is, is, are you really thinking it's the end of an era for the Blackhawks right now? I do because of what the team said. And this is saying, hey, we are rebuilding. They literally said the words, we are rebuilding. And I think that for me was like, okay, end of an era. That's it. Right? Well, you would assume so, so but like, there's still guys like, you know, Jonathan Tays and Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith, they're still on the team. Can you really call it an end of an era? Like you were saying before, you know, when, when like Michael Jordan retires or like Wayne Gretzky gets traded from Edmonton to LA, that's when uh, basically you're, you're saying that that's like an end of an era. But, you know, these guys are still there. Can you really say it's an end of an era in Chicago? I can. I can with a little bit of confidence say that. Um, just because like, it's not over completely. I think the admission of that is enough. I don't think it has to require someone being like, I am retiring for it to be an end of an era. It just has to be more of a, how do I put it? There, are, It doesn't have to be a retirement. It can be a team saying, hey, you know what? I, I think we're done. Yeah, and like I don't know if you've heard like the I don't know Stan Bowman kind of did like a media tour after this uh, tweet came out, like their message to the fans. Which you know I, I don't know if it's really much a message to the fans or is it just more a message to um, 
the players, I think. <laughs> I don't think it was really directed to the fans. I think the fans kind of knew what was going on. Like, they knew their team wasn't doing well and that they were on track towards, like, a retool or rebuild. But, like, when you listen to, like, Stan Bowman talk about it, it's more of just, like, a change in philosophy, right? It's not like it's not like the baseball rebuild where you tear everything down and rebuild and, like, lose 100 games in a season and, you know, just have nothing on your roster, right? Like, I think this is, like, it's not going to be, like, a, a full rebuild. I think it's going to be more of a, like, a slight retool. But, yeah, it, like, I, it's also going to be hard if you're going to keep guys like Taves, Kane, Keith on the roster. <sighs> I don't know. See that's the thing. I'm I'm not sure. I think they have to though. Like, who who wants that contract? Um, like straight up, they, who, who wants they the contract? Won't be, they won't be bad per se. Like I I don't mind a Keith contract as bad. Like at like like five point five ish for three more years. It's not the worst contract. It's just really if he wants to go right. Like I I think it's. Yeah, I think there's teams that might be interested, but it's really it's up to the players if they want to go, right? They have their full no move clause. So it's going to be up to them if they want, feel like they are ready to leave Chicago and go find another, you know, project to go to. But like like they're not bad contracts. As a t- as like a I'd say to the Leafs or whatever, right? Like there's no why would you want to take on that contract? Right? Like I like for sure a rebuilding team like you know the Red Wings aren't taking on that contract willingly right no and I I think it's not like necessarily like they're going to get traded now right like just because the the Blackhawks sent out that message doesn't necessarily mean oh starting now we're gonna rebuild like I think this it's going to be a process where they're going to slowly change the dynamic of and the culture of the team to get away from the core of Kane, Taves, and Keith into a new core. But, like, like Kane or Taves as, like, a trade deadline pickup in a couple of years might not be too bad if the cap, like, with the trade deadline cap space, you might have a little bit more cap so you can fit that in maybe. Um, like, if Keith is still, you know, his legs are still going, he's not that bad at 5.6. Like, I, I think there's options that Kane, T- Taves, and Keith could get traded before the end of their contracts. But at the same time, you kind of hope for these guys that they finish their careers with the Blackhawks. Okay, but I guess it, it'd be nice for them too. But at the same time, it's $10.5 million is a lot of money. Like, the thing is, like, I'm I'm thinking, like, if you're giving them a chance to go for the Cup, I think... If you're a rebuilding team, like what Chicago says, you retain half plus the trade deadline cap space. You're going to have extra more cap space than, like, you could probably fit, like, 5.25 somewhere in your cap if you're, like, a playoff team. I, I it's, But in the end, like, no matter about the cap or the contract, it's more about, like, can they, um, like, can the players, will the players waive their no movements? Yeah. I think if they want to, they definitely can, right? Like, at the end of the day, they're subtracting from the cap. So, like, they they can do 100%. Like, it's completely possible. I think there is a lot of, do they want to? And I'm not exactly sure if they want to. Yeah, like, are you talking about the players or saying the team? The players, the players, the players, yeah. Because no matter how badly the team wants to, like, you know, you put yourself in this position by offering all these 
no trade clause, no move clause and everything, right? Which is like, well, you kind of put yourself in that position because you want to win now. And now you kind of have to deal with it. It's kind of, you know, well, it's your fault, but it's part of the price you pay for keeping that squad competitive for so long. And don't get me wrong. I feel like Stan Bowman has really tried to extend the window or and keep his superstars happy because, you know, it is, you know, it has been reported that like John and Taze, Patrick Kane, them, you know, this season still thought that they were not an elite, not one of the best teams, but they thought they still thought they were a very good team, right? A competitive team. So I feel like they still see it there. It's just at the end of the day, is it what, is that what they are though? And I'm not exactly sure if that's what they are. You know what I mean? Well, to that point, are, 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 are the players then oblivious? Like they don't, they didn't see that their team is going through that cycle where they're under, under downturn. Like, would you say it's the players that who think that they're competitive when they're really not? Like, this is a team um, that... At the same time, I think they are aware, but I guess this is going to sound terrible. I think they just refuse to believe it. Does that make sense? But I, think, I do think they're aware of it, but they're just like, I don't want to believe it's true. And that's with any like competitive athlete, right? They always think yeah. that they have a chance. But like you have to have some like common sense to recognize that like you're on a downturn, um, like like both as like a team and as a player, right? Like you can't be asking for eight million dollars if you're thirty five and not producing more. Like you're not no longer a star. Like I I think that like even though I think the fans kind of knew already that this was going to happen. But yep. I think having the like an actual omission, like an actual message being sent. Well, I still think that message wasn't to the fans. I think it was more just to the players because I think the fans knew already. It's just they needed to make it concrete for the players. Like after Jonathan Tate saying like, oh, I didn't realize that we were rebuilding, even though I think he knew in the back of his mind that, you know, this was team mm-hmm. was not going to be competing for the cup within his prime anymore. Yeah. <sighs> I think, yeah, no, I, th- I think you, I understand your point, and I, I do agree that it's very likely well, that's what he was doing. But I think it's also to the fans to kind of like, like, hey guys, like, understand that we, like, we understand how you think, but this is why, kind of explaining our moves a little bit. Because it seems like they got a lot of flack for the last couple moves, right? Well, like, I don't know, like, did that Brandon Sod trade not not the the one that was most recent to Colorado, but getting back Brandon Sod was that really a trade for helping them with the rebuild, or was that more of like they thought that they were so competitive, right? Like, like to me, I I look at this and I'm thinking like, I don't, I don't know if um it's gonna be an easy transition for them. Oh, it's definitely not gonna be an easy transition. I don't think anyone has any doubts about that i think i think everyone understands the transition is going to be hard but a part of them is, but when you come down to it these guys all have very short careers like yes you can say you play still 40 or whatever right but it's about only 21 years like your average career outside of sports like let's say your average i don't know you know oil worker or like your or average you know banker or your average doctor or whatever it's a lot more than 21 years, right? Like, I should say your your lumberjack or whatever isn't, you know, cutting down trees for 30 years, but, you know, they're part of that industry for 30 years. 
for a lot of these guys, they only have so many chances, right? Their their career is only so long, so you gotta have you know you kind of have to be very pushy about making sure that your career gets pushed longer and longer, and your window to win, your ultimate pinnacle of your career is as long as possible. And I think for a lot of these guys, they're just like, I think they see it and they're just like, I. I refuse to acknowledge it. <laughs> kind of sounds terrible. Yeah, I refuse to acknowledge it, and we kind of just pushed a bit longer. I think that's where the players are thinking. And then for management to go, guys, like, no, this is it. You know, like, I think we're done. Yeah, like, it would be sad. I, I just kind of liked how, um, like, I don't know if you heard the 31 Thoughts podcast on um, Sportsnet with, like, Friedman, um, Merrick, and uh, Bowman. Basically, um, I think who was it? Friedman, like they're trying to bring up an example of like a, a team like the Blackhawks, where they're on the downturn after signing all their core players, these long contracts, and then Freeman offered an example as the LA Kings, and then Bowman just kind of shitted on the Kings the rest of the way, saying like, "Oh, like you know, we're not the only ones that are bad. Like, look at the Kings; they're also in a rough spot too." But it's just kind of funny to see him kind of like that Kings. Um, Hawks rivalry going in the early 2010s, like that's still kind of still still in the back of their mind, even as they're rebuilding there. Now they're going to see who can rebuild the better. I would give it to you though that he's right. <laughs> like, look at the Kings; like they are rebuilding now. But for the longest time, you know, they had terrible contracts and no prospects until they decided, okay, look, we got to blow this up. We got to figure this out. We can't just have this going on, not, not. And now, I think now where they are has been a big help because they've decided, look, we can't do this. And so I think that's kind of what they need to do. Yeah, I, I think the benefit in LA as well is that their star players can't, can't aren't enough of a difference maker that they can change, make their team even slightly competitive, even though they are star players. Which, like, I mean, with Taze and Kane, like no matter how bad of a team you put them on, they're still gonna like perform and raise, make everyone better. But like you look at LA, like you have Kopitar, you have Doughty, but like they're, they they don't seem to be doing much still, even though they like they haven't been able to make make that team any better. They're still a shitty team, and that's the, that's the point of a rebuild. That's the point of a rebuild. So like that's that's a good thing. It's just like in Chicago with Taves and Kane still performing, it's kind of harder to see whether. Um, like a, like a true like 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 an LA Kings like a rebuild where you're going down to get those top five picks right like they lucked out and gained Kirby Doc last year because of the lottery like they can't depend on that for them to be rebuild and get like top prospects they're gonna have to actually you know be bad to build up their prospect core yeah like I mean at the end of the day you know unlike the Leafs we actually want a cup we want two cups right and so did the uh Chicago Blackhawks. So, you know, even though Jeffrey is trying to gaslight me, I just want to remind him that we did win two cups, unlike the Leafs in God knows how many years. But, um, yeah, so, you know, like, at the end of the day, this is what we worked for, and we got it twice. So, I'm okay with that. I think Stan Bowman also took a shot at Toronto, too, when he was saying that, like, um, what the reason why they traded Panarin was because they didn't think that they could uh, have three uh, contracts of over $10 million. <laughs> And Bowman was just firing like passive aggressive shots, just like how we are right now. Good. But speaking of the Leafs, Travis Dermott at 875. I am surprisingly very okay with that. <laughs> I thought it would be worse. 
Well, I think the big question, like, I don't want to say big question, but I think it's more related to the fact I think there aren't a lot of more jobs available. And I think that's why you see uh, Travis Dermott accept this qualifying offer. I don't think it's necessarily the fact that, you know, oh, he, like, he wants like more money and they just they're, like they're going to be in an impasse right he just realized that if he wants to play in the nhl next season whenever that is he's gonna to have to take that qo uh, like you like your belief is that you don't think teams were trying to really push on with uh what's it called um they weren't trying to push with a what's we're looking for an offer sheet well i just don't think there are teams willing to you know, like at this point, right? Like draft picks are king, right? If you can get a player on like a rookie contract, an entry level contract, you save so much money, right? Like, mm-hmm. so what's the point of offering Travis Dermott a one way offer, one way deal on an offer sheet, and then having to relinquish picks, which could be golden, especially right now with the cap and everything? Like, people are scared to like spend. Like, if you look at the UFA market, right? There are still some. NHLers that still need to be signed, but a lot of te- these teams are feeling comfortable because they feel like they can save money, save money on the cap, save money on the salary mm-hmm. with what they have in their organization already, and they're not willing to you know take that risk and spend a little bit of extra money in free agency because they feel like you know we've got a decent enough team. Why are we going to risk signing? another player that might slightly improve our team, but it's going to cause us more a lot of financial, um, I don't want to say financial difficulty, but it's going to raise their salary wages. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like the Travis Dermott signing. I think he, he just realized like if he, like he always wanted to be a lead too, right? Like a yeah. young boy from new market wanting to, you know, play for the hometown Leafs, even though it's, he's in the GTA doesn't really count, but like, I, I think his desire to, you know, try to play. Like, he always understands, like, to be being a team player and everything. So, I, I, I think it's a, it's a good deal both for the Leafs and it's a good deal for Travis Dermott because it means that he can play hockey next season. So, you think it's part of it? Like, you think he did put a little bit of hometown discount on there? Um, I don't think it's a hometown discount count per se. I think it's more just... If you want to play, you're gonna to have to accept your QO. If you're, or else you're just gonna remain an mm-hmm. RFA for the rest of the season, unless someone decides to offer sheet you, which is very, very unlikely. Yeah. Okay, like I think that's a pretty valid point. <laughs> um, but okay, so we're gonna go from one big thing in the fringe from the off season to another because it's gonna to go to this the draft. I was thinking earlier, and I've heard this from a few people, and I was thinking this as well, just as the WHL, OHL, QMJHL, uh, NAHL, USHL, NCAA, all the North American leagues, junior leagues, aren't really playing this right now, right? And it's understandable. Um, but in Europe, a lot of these leagues are playing. And I'm wondering, for next season, like, does that give a boost to a lot of draft-eligible players? In the sense that... You know, hockey is a very, sports in general, a very recency bias type of things, right? Like, a lot of it comes down to, like I mentioned before, short careers, you know, and it's at an age, especially scouting, where it's people are developing so much, right? Players are developing so much at that age. Do they get a recency bias because they're able to play and these North American leagues are currently on hiatus? 
Well, I, I thought the QMJHL is still playing, aren't they? They, a couple teams are, but it seems like they have a few issues, a few outbreaks that are really limiting it. And I think they did pause a lot of it. Um, and there's another there's another thing I want your your uh, opinion on after with the QMJHL. But for now, like I think it's a it's a touch and go situation more than anything. Well, I I think it's it's not. I I think just the fact that you can actually see the players play and they actually have ice time makes like a big difference in next year's draft, right? Like the fact that you like I, these guys have been like. They've been scouted since they were, you know, 14, 15, 16, right? Like, this isn't, like, just because it's their draft year, now you're actually going to scout them type of thing, right? But uh, I think you look at it, and definitely players that are getting to play this season are definitely going to have a benefit in the upcoming draft. Like, I know we just finished the last draft, but, like, if we are thinking that there's not going to be any um, North American uh, development leagues actually playing, I think it really does give a boost to the European, the Russian uh, junior yeah. players who are draft eligible, right? And I think that's where you're going to see possibly a shift in like the top picks for sure. But then I think that also puts a lot of onus on teams to use their previous um, scouting uh, history on these draft eligible, the 21 draft eligible players and seeing whether um, maybe based on how they're growing, I'm sure they're going to get the chance to somehow do some type of, I don't know if it's, like, you can't do, like, what the Coyotes did, but I'm sure you can, like, interview them, (laughs) do, like, a Zoom call or something, just to at least get to know them a little bit better, Uh, know, like, their personality. Um, I'm sure you can get them to go stand on a scale or get them measure, so you actually get the right height and somehow to bring them in, but, like, I think uh, what we're going to see for sure is that there's going to be a slight shift to the European leagues um, in the next draft. But uh, I, I think it might just be like until the junior leagues return, which, you know, I think they said the WHL is coming back in Jan. They're aiming for January 1st. I think there's going to be yeah. a shift. In, so not towards European leagues, but if you play, your stock will rise. And if you don't play, your stock is going to fall. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, that's valid. Um, and when it comes down to personalities, I think what a lot of these teams will do is, you know, they have a lot of relationships with these coaches and everything. And, you know, you can be a lot more reliant on these opinions from these coaches and say, hey, you know what, like player X, Y, Z, like what's he like off the ice? And that's where you're going to be going to tapping into your network and saying, you know what, like, you know, this guy is a very, you know, studious guy and like likes to go to museums and not, doesn't like to go to moxies with the rest of the guys. Like, you know, like stuff like that. Like, and that's where you're going to be really relying on your on your connections. Does that make sense? Yeah, and like there are teams for sure. Like I'm sure the Leafs have this connection with the Sault Ste. Marie. So like you might see, possibly you'll see like teams when they, in the next draft, they're going to draft from the teams that they have connections with. They might not go off the board and go for a guy that they've rarely scouted. Like it's going to be, they're mm-hmm. going to make the safe picks more likely. They're not going to take a risk and go off the board. Yeah. No, I, and it's very, it's a very valid point. But speaking of going back to QMJHL, like, you know, one of the things that I brought up from, I think it was former NHL Cheller turned parliamentarian for Quebec in their provincial parliament, Enrico Sicone mentioned that he kind of wants to ban 
fighting in QMJHL, and I think the OHL also was saying, hey, you know what, like, if you want to come back, you got to not, yeah, not have fighting and not have hitting. And I think everyone was taken aback by that and saying, you know, what do you mean no hitting? It, it's hockey. And, okay, I'm going to, it's going to be a hot take in the sense that I get where this comes from. It has good intentions in the sense that, you know what, you these are kids. You know, you don't want to enable them to become, you know, only reason why they're playing is because they can bare knuckle box other, you know, 17 year olds. And I get it. It's kind of a good place. But my concern is, and this is something that needs to definitely be figured out in the fact that it's, I'm a little concerned that I can see that these guys who come up aren't from a physical hockey environment don't know how to play in a physical hockey environment so i get it in the same time i said like i said i get it get why you're doing this and it you know it sometimes does have to come in the grassroots level but at the same time i feel like this also has come from um, like the nhl and ahl if that's something they want to do in the sense that okay if you, you don't know if you don't come from a hockey hitting background which seems like that's what they've wanted you end up playing in a league after where these guys have grown up getting, you know, run over, then you go, well, I don't know how to play. And you just get destroyed and you get hurt. You know, I think getting hit a little bit is part of learning how to play hockey, which is not the greatest thing I know. The optics in that sound terrible. Um, and I'm not exactly sure that. And it comes when it comes down to fighting, it just seems like one of the reasons. So I guess way back, I think, Jeffrey knows. I don't know if a lot of listeners know. I used to run a hockey blog, and one of the articles I did write about um, was about fighting. So I was able to get some some feedback, some interviews, just interviews with guys like Madison Bowie, now of the Detroit Red Wings, I think, and uh, John uh, Gillies, who free agent. now plays for an HL free agent. And I think John Gillies plays for one of the HL teams. And you know, I talked to him. I was like, you know, what happens? And in our article, we talked about it. And one of the things it did really constantly bring up was like, well, you kind of need fighting because you need to be able to regulate the game yourself in the sense that the refs have a bias sometimes for you sometimes against you this is what i felt like they said okay so if i'm wrong i apologize but this is the observations i felt was that the refs innately have a bias because they're human so they're not going to call everything so sometimes you're going to have to regulate the game for yourself you know sometimes the calls are against you sometimes they're for you you know it's a matter of life um and the fighting helps regulate the game a little bit. And it's hard in the sense that, you know, you have overagers, 19-year-olds fighting 16-year-olds. That's definitely not good. So I'm all on board if you want to do, like, you get in a fight, you're banned for, like, next game or two or whatever, right? I get it. But you need to be able to be in a, de- in a developmental area where it has to be similar to the NHL just because that's where many players are aiming to go to, or at least in the pro leagues, because they're aiming to go to. So once they do get there, they're not left blindsided because that's not how they played, and they were scouted to play how they played. Does that make sense, Jeffrey? Now, is this decision related to the pandemic, or is it related to more like concussion and post-concussion syndrome? I think both. I, I genuinely think both. And I, like, don't get, like I said, like I said many times, I understand why they're doing it. I I think more like I I agree with you know no fighting 
I think that's something that we need to establish more at the grassroots levels because I think now that you've seen even in the NHL, it's already phased out the entire sense of fighting. So yeah, it does make sense that we phase it out from the grassroots program as well. But the well, no I, hitting thing actually, let me just jump in here. Let me just jump in here. Let me just jump here, Jeffrey. I don't think you need. I don't think you phase out from the grassroots level. You have to phase it from the top down. In this case, I don't think you can do it from have one individual league or two individual leagues doing it. You either do it as a whole across the world, or you just do it from the top down. I don't think you can do either or. So I, I just had to cut you off there just because I want to make sure that you, we were clear on that. It's either you go top down, or you have to get a whole like entire world do it together. But is it not being phased out already from the NHL? Not not like but not like with like rules or anything, but it is slowly being phased out from the game. So like I, I see it like we don't see as much fighting or mm-hmm. not necessarily like full out brawls. Like yeah. yes you will see scrums, but that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean that's a fight. So I, I yeah. think that you can still police a game with scrums. Um, mm-hmm. Not with the pandemic, perhaps, but I think with... Oh, yeah, okay. But, like, I think we're looking beyond the pandemic, right? Like, right now, we're not even getting to play hockey, right? So, I think when I'm talking about this, I'm looking beyond the pandemic. I don't I don't think you can really play hockey if the pandemic gets worse just because... What are you going to do? Make a full cage and, like, close the holes in the full cage, I guess? But, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think mean, I'm looking beyond the pandemic. Yeah, so I, I think in the end, I don't think you're going to be able to ban fighting. Like, you can add punishment, like the, you know, you, if you fight, it's a five-minute fighting match, game misconduct, and a suspension type of thing. And if you're a repeat offender, you know, your suspensions get more and more. So, like, that's how you can slowly phase out. Because I don't think you can say, like, no fighting. And in the heat of the moment, that's when... Like, what if someone just decides to, like, in the heat of the moment, there is a big scrum, right? Like, you can't say, like, you're, you've banned fighting because they're still going to be fighting in the game, right? Like, like a full-on ban is not going to happen. You're going to have suspensions and punishments with it. But I think mm-hmm. it's already slowly happening. I think with the current pandemic, it kind of gives you another reason to ban fighting and hitting. But I don't see it being, like, the sense that because of the pandemic, now they're going to 100% sure going to ban fighting and hitting in the QMJHL because it really doesn't make sense that if you're not allowing hitting in the QMJHL, then does that mean you can't, you know, skate beside someone as well? Then, like, you can't, ha- ha- like, battle them from the net? Like, the, like, you have to, like, kind of reason why you're trying to abolish hitting and fighting. So I I can agree with the no fighting part where you add in more severe punishments and it slowly gets phased out from the game. But I don't really think that you can say ban hitting. Holy shit, Jeffrey. Did we just agree on something? Well, you're the one who still thinks that fighting needs to... Well, I think you were saying with like Madison Bowie and John Gillies, they were saying that you need fighting to, you know, keep for the players to rough the games themselves. But yeah. I, I still think that, like, I, I don't think this is going to happen, to be honest. Like, it, it makes sense from, like, if you're coming from a non-hockey background, you can be like, yeah, I don't want, you know, kids bashing into each other when they're, like... Yeah, the teams. optics are terrible of my argument. I am fully aware of my optics are terrible. I just advocated for bare-knuckle boxing amongst developing minds. <laughs> 
So I, I just think that like we will see changes, but I don't think it's necessarily going to happen just because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of these draft eligible players, you know, news came out this week that the World Junior Championship of 2021 is going to go ahead, which is always a great thing. Um, but it's going to be in a bubble, um, which I think was the only way they were going to get this done. Um, and scouts and team members aren't going to be allowed, which I think for many scouts was heartbreaking because, like, you know, it's the big scouting event, right? You get the top players from each country. Um, and I don't know, man, like they're going to do something, right? They can't just make it closed door. Like I'm assuming they're just going to put like cameras and just be like, you know, you know, when we watch TV, the camera follows the puck, but you just have cameras that, you know, multiple cameras that just capture the entire ice just for these teams and then be like, yeah, whatever, man, you guys are able to watch whatever and do your own scouting that way, right? Like, I'm assuming, like, people are making it sound like, well, then they can't scout, but, like, I don't think it's that big of a deal. You just put up the cameras, and then at the same time, you just kind of have, like, you know, available for the scouts, and your, you know, the personalities you interviews, you just go to your teams and be like, hey, like, can we talk to their coach and see what they're like as a player? <laughs> you know what I mean, Jeffrey? I don't think it's as big as a deal as people are making it sound. Well, I, I also think you're making it much more of a big of a deal than it sounds because how much scouting actually happens at a U20 event when nearly every single player has already been drafted? Well, no. I think when you look at the Canadian squads, for example, yes. But like if you look at like you're uncovering those gems, so if you look at the teams in like like Switzerland where there's last players, maybe you can you know see if there's a, a sixth round pick or a seventh round pick available. More than anything, I don't think I don't like. Don't look at it as just like your team Canada, where a lot of guys aren't drafted. But at the same time, it's for the guys who aren't drafted, being like, okay, how do they play against higher level challenges, right? If you're you're a seventeen year old, you know, like you're a Connor Bedard, whatever. Like, yeah, sure, teams already looked at you, and you know they have an idea what you're like. But what is he like against? higher level competition, you're 19, 20 year olds, especially when you have competitions like the Ivan Holinka, where there's usually a lot of scouting canceled this year. Yeah. So I, I think the Ivan Holinka was more, is it's more of an important scout than I think you would say for all these other, um, for, like between the, like the U20s and the U18s, I think scouts are more focused on the U18s mm-hmm. just because these players are actually going to be draft eligible. And yes, like I agree with you that it's always good to see can these players play up a level against players that are older than them. But I, I just find that yeah. like you're not going to, like, yes, you might be able to find a gem in the later rounds, but I think teams are so built in the world juniors these days that are, are just so heavy on drafted players that you're really not going to be discovering much else compared to, mm-hmm. say, like when you go to like the U18s. So uh, it's going to be important because there was no uh, U18 tournament this year. So, yes, you're going to be able to, you know, actually find some players. But I think the focus still, like, it it would just be good for it to happen. Though I am still kind of, you know, a little bit curious based on how Alberta is doing right now. Can they still maintain um, having the World Juniors in Edmonton? I mean, I think they can. I think, honestly, I'm more optimistic. As, you know, as our listeners have heard, you know, when we had our countdown timer, 
I'm a bit more optimistic than Jeffrey is in general uh, with the pandemic. And I'm pretty optimistic we can. You know, they've built the, they have the foundation there, I think. And I think they're just going to continue building from that. I think if they're like, let's all go to Red Deer, I'd be a bit more concerned. But the fact that, you know, they're going to a place where it's like they've already done it before gives me a bit more confidence. Does that make sense, Jeffrey? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I, I do think that it can still happen. It's just that just need to be cautious about what else is happening in the world before we can determine whether we want to send, you know, 25, 20, 20, like basically we're sending like eight groups of teens to go to Edmonton, have them put in a bubble and um, play hockey for us just for our enjoyment. Yeah. And it might not be, it might not be the best thing in the world for it to happen at this moment. Like maybe you could delay it for later. I, like I wouldn't mind seeing it being postponed. Like, I don't think it would hurt that much, to be honest. But, uh, like, a postponement could work. Um, I do also think that if it does get postponed, then you also have to think about the NHL schedule. Does Edmonton have to change their home games? Or do games have to be played while Edmonton's away on the road? Like, that stuff's going to be a little bit... Logistically, it's going to be a little bit harder to control. So I I think there's some obstacles to go through, but it's good that at least there's like a plan for what the World Junior is going to be this year or next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... it's You know, it is right. Your argument is right. It's like, is this really that important, you know, per se, being like, like guys, it's just talking, right? Like, there's bigger things in the world. But at the same time, I think... I'm I'm... I'm excited. <laughs> I think we're just excited because we're just having like such a, you know, a lull in the period. Like yesterday was so close to being the first day of the off season without a single signing or trade. Like, thank God for Josh, Josh Levo for signing with uh, the Calgary Flames or that would have been our first day of no NHL news. I mean, Josh Levo, yeah, like, I'm a little confused. What are the Flames doing? It feels like they're just kind of like, Taking everything from the Canucks. Well, I mean, it's not a bad strategy. It's not, but then, like, are you going to continue until you pick up Jay Beagle and Anton Roussel? <laughs> well, they don't have the cap space for it, but, like, if you look at it as a strategy thing, right? Like, considering the fact that now Josh Lebel can't play for the Vancouver Canucks, I think Curry Flames win any signing that they sign away from Vancouver, right? Like, they've. Like, from this free agency, they've made Vancouver into a worse team. It doesn't necessarily mean they're a better team than they were before, but at least they've made Vancouver a worse team, right? So you can't hate on that. Um, but I, I, I think they don't have enough cap space to go for a Jay Beagle. And I, I think now that... I think Levo just fills out their forward group and all their forward lines. So I, I think they're, they're maybe one defenseman away from finally, like finishing up this entire team for the next season. Yeah, like at the end of the day, I think um, they're a little they're a little protected from the, from some of the bad signings because they have their own bad signings where they're like, well, we can't do it ourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Their stupidity is protected by stupidity. <laughs> they're not stupidity. Their bad choices are protected from their previous bad choices. Are you talking about Calgary? Calgary, yes. Well, I mean, like, they have, like, their own internal rules that they can't sign anyone over $7 million. So that kind of saves them a little bit. But, like, they, 
uh, I, I I think that this team looks like it's a team that has like a decent core, but it's also like a last chance type of thing right now for them. Are you saying that give it a couple of years and it'll look like the Blackhawks? No, I, I I don't think they'll have. I don't think they're going to win a Stanley Cup or anything. Like I think this Oof. is more of like this is an attempt to develop. To create a core that can contend and this core has underperformed and now they're going to have to reset type of thing so like i i like i look at the forward group right now like like i think they just had to sign shillington left but they might want to add yeah. in another defenseman after Nesterov just to like solidify everything and then they're good to go and go into the playoffs like this is a playoff team it's just that can they get out of the first round or even get to the second round right like that's going to be the question for Calgary. You don't think this team could make it to the second round? Um, depends where they play. Do they play in the Canadian division or do they play in the Pacific? So remember, uh, remember when I was brought up, I was like, hey, we're going to probably have to make like a Canadian division versus like, a, like an American division. You're like, no, you're not. That's stupid. I just want to point out that I was right. Now, okay. See, I have this trouble here still. Like, Does the MLS not cross the border? Uh, currently, no. No, the MLS does. They they cross the border. The first couple of weeks they didn't, but then they've been crossing the border. So why has the NHL uh, not no, been able to? No, they haven't. Um, what's it called? Um, Toronto's playing in Connecticut. Are they? I, I thought Toronto's. Yeah. Uh, okay, maybe no, I'm they're just playing in Connecticut. Are they? Oh, I, I thought they yeah, were playing, playing in Toronto. No, nope, they're I... playing in Connecticut. Oh, now I sound stupid. <laughs> well, this is awkward. But yeah, no, they're playing in Connecticut. Um, uh, BMO Field was open for a little while for actually the NHL players uh, as part of their bubble so they could actually uh, have some outside time <laughs> kind of like when we were in kindergarten but yeah their outside time their field was BMO Field but yeah so they're playing Connecticut oh I was lied to by the MLS highlights because it looked like they were playing in BMO but it was just covered in black like they covered the seats in black because of Black Lives Matter so I thought you know they're still in BMO but uh, I have now been lied to no, I'm like now I'm a little concerned. Am I am I wrong or because like where did the impact play, right? Yeah, no, maybe you're right. I, I'm a like I don't know. Um, I think they're not. Like I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the TFC plays in Connecticut, um, and then I am pretty. So yeah, they play in Pratt and Whitney Field Stadium at Rentschler Field. Um, so we're University of Connecticut's Division One football team plays, um, and then I am pretty sure um, Montreal plays somewhere else too. Um, but besides that, like I, I think even if they don't, like what are your thoughts about the Canadian division? Um, I think it would be great for uh, it would be great for you know TV revenue in Canada. I think it reestablishes the Canadian rivalries that happen every year, but they're not really rivalries because, especially like between the East and West teams, where they only face each other once, twice a year. Like, I, I think it would be very great, but yeah, I don't think that would be the ideal for the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I just want to, I just wanted to give a heads up. Yes, so TSU plays in Connecticut. Uh, Vancouver plays in Oregon. Um, and Montreal plays in New Jersey. Poor Montreal. New Jersey. Ooh, that's rough. 
<laughs> I have been lied to by the highlights of the MLS. I thought they were still playing in BMO because I saw all the BMO like signs and well, like I I probably should have noticed that like they didn't show like the second tier at the beginning of face off each like of kickoff. But uh, now I just feel lied to because I thought I was gonna have this whole complaint about how come the MLS can still play, but uh, apparently they're all in the US. So yeah, um, so I know we're, we're trailing a little bit here, but just one thing, one last point. I just want to point out that Jeffrey actually, uh, not Jeffrey, I think the MLS has done such a great job that they fooled Jeffrey. <laughs> and I think that the point was they want to you know, keep, make it really feel like a home field. I think they have. <laughs> well, okay, does that, so if the MLS was able to pull off something like that, can you get the Canadians teams to all go to the U.S. and play? I mean, you can. Like, you know, you can have all the Canadian NHL teams on the U.S., but is it something they want? Like, if it's just going to be about TV revenue, right, if there's not going to be fans, does that really hurt them that much for the Canadian teams? Like, I mean, the pandemic there is not as great, but, you know, like... This I mean, part of the be- reason why is that they kind of want to separate the two is just you know if it my 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 conspiracy theory here is it's not but it's not too wild um is that you separate it by country then you know if one country it gets much worse the coronavirus cases they're able to go you know what then we're just gonna have we're gonna shut it down for that country you know what i mean you kind of have a physical buffer between the two just in case yeah but like if you put all the teams in like one all like if you put them all in the U.S. right, like at least you're not gonna have to watch the same matchup six times in a row. Like I, I mean, some of the matchups watching them play six times in a row, not the worst thing in the world. But like, I think you want some variation in the game for like to at least make it like, um, like reasonably competitive, right? Because like, if you were to like have all these teams in their own like seven to eight team divisions and they can only play amongst themselves, right? Like this is going to turn into either you're going to turn it not into an NHL season, turn it into like, like an elementary school tournament where you have like a round Robin and then they like move on to the next round type of thing like that. It won't be really a season. I think. Yes, I guess. Again, there's pros and cons with this, right? But I think for them, it's either, Hey, you know what? I don't want to risk it. You know what I mean? I don't want to risk not having a season. I'd rather them have, you know, the six games over and over again than not have a season. I think that's kind of like the vibe I got. I think you do something similar to what the MLS did, right? Like, I feel like now we're just we're congratulating the MLS, but like they did like a tournament to start the season where they put everyone kind of like in a little bubble do that as like just to you know get the players going and then once um the world decided to you know calm down a little bit for the summer they were able to restart the season so like i think something similar to that not necessarily we're not looking at the world cup of hockey type of thing but like mm-hmm. if you were to make like you know these four divisions have them play around robin between themselves then you could, like, maybe you don't even have to do bubbles. Maybe you can have, like, a little bit of fans in there, and then you move them into a bubble. Like, say, the top couple of teams play, like, a mini tournament. And then, if by then, maybe it's March, April. Maybe by then we have a vaccine. Maybe the weather's getting better. Maybe, you know, the 
uh, pandemic is slowly dissipating again, like into the summer, then maybe you are able to restart a season or have a smaller season type of thing. I guess also it's just like, what if it doesn't get better? Then you just have to cancel the season. I guess. Um, But at the same time, like, also, what if there's an outbreak at the tournament? Right, I get it. Like, they've done very well. It seems like most leagues have done very well. NFL. Um, but <laughs> like that's for me, that's where I'm a little concerned. It's like what if it what if it doesn't go better or like what if an outbreak happens there, right? Like I think what's an issue is as well is that the NHL has already gone through a year where the revenues were low because of the pandemic. Can team owners handle another one like this? I, I think it's just gonna be up to the teams whether they want to play. I'm also curious, like what if like a single team decides to um, opt out from the season. Like, what if the team owner decides that I don't want to pay for any of the maintenance of that year because I know I'm going to be losing money. Why don't I just, if you just, if like one team just decides, hey, peace, I'm not going to be playing the season. And it's not the player's choice; it's the owner's choice. Like, how would that work? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's happening. I think the league would just come and be like, uh, pardon. <laughs> Oh, what do you think? That is uh, not happening, sir. <laughs> you are going to lose your team. <laughs> we will take over it. Um, yeah, you can't just have teams opt out um, because that would make the news and definitely would not look good. It would make the league look more like a joke. Yeah, I, I just I just thought of that as something. like You could see like an owner who doesn't even want to pay for the season that they just decide like they'll cut their losses because I'm sure they'll save more money by not having their players play like by not having an NHL season compared to having a season play and with no fan revenue like I, okay, I think but a it's a contract though right they can't just be like it's a contract they just can be like we decide to break here at the contract <laughs> uh you know things can happen right negotiations can happen yeah I don't know about that one <laughs> Well, like, I mean, the players have already taken a pay cut, and that wasn't in their original contract. Like these, these are things that can just happen, right? Like with the like all the, like how we talked before, right? All these the staff that you know had to take pay cuts and everything, and the layoffs and everything that wasn't necessarily in their contracts, but it happens. So I, I I wouldn't be surprised that you might hear rumors that maybe a team goes like or a team owner goes like, oh, I I really don't want to play this season, but I'm being forced to, and now I'm losing all this money. Like I I can see a team kind of complaining about that. Ooh, that's a that's a that's a hot take I've ever heard of one, Jeffrey. I I gotta give that to you. That one's a hot take. I I I think it's just true. I I think there are team owner team owners behind closed doors that are saying that why do I have to play the season with the pandemic when I'm just going to lose even more money? Why don't I just sit out the season? Like how my players can opt out from the season, right? Like I think there will be discussions about that for sure. Damn. Okay, Jeffrey. Jeffrey coming in with the hot takes. I love it. It's not really hot, but... Um, That's a hot take. You, you're, you're openly saying that you can see a team breaking contractual rules. That's a hot take. You know, you can deny it all, but that's a hot take. I had to give that to you, Jeffrey. But, you know, maybe it makes more sense to have 30 teams instead of having 31 teams, you know? Got to balance the competitive of, uh, competitiveness there. Well, that's why that's why Seattle's coming in. Yeah. You know, I, I think, like, we're, we've been grasping at straws. I think it's just been such a quiet day. Like, quiet. 
we're going to that that quiet August part of the off season right now, right? Like today, yeah. the only news was the Sam Reinhardt signing, right? But like we're slowly getting to that phase where we're picking at news and there's not going to be much. And I think eventually we're going to have to transition into maybe an episode every two weeks, especially like if it's really quiet this off season, if we're yeah still not going to know when the NHL season is going to start. But like we're slowly going to be getting to the points where we're going to be talking about like Seattle and like who are they going to pick? Like now that teams have slowly, you know, kind of been like doing all these signings and moves. Now we can start finally thinking about, you know, who will be protected? Who will be unprotected? Um, interestingly, it's going to be like, can players actually meet the the game limits preset before with like Vegas? Like, can they even have players play 40 games? Like you might see like a whole different thing with Vegas. So I, I think those are going to be talks that we're going to have later in the off season. I almost said summer there, but it's uh, getting chilly up here in uh, Canada. But uh, yeah, like, I, I think we're, we're slowly grasping at straws, but uh, I, I think okay, but before, before we continue, I want to. You brought out a good point. Um, Sam Reinhardt, five point two million. What do you think about that? Um, I don't know if like I. I think it's weird that it's a one year deal. Um, like I, I know they had to settle, but like this is a guy who's what twenty three, twenty four. Are you going to be doing this every year, like a Trevor Bauer, and just keep signing him on one year deals type of thing? Like I, I, I think there is. Uh, it doesn't. It, it's like I. It seems like there's something going on between Reinhardt and Buffalo, that I don't think this relationship is going to continue. Type of thing. But right now, do you think he's worth five point two? Do you think it's underpay, overpay, or equal? Like a good, good pay. Um, I mean, like playing with Jack Eichel, your stats are going to be inflated. But like, if you look. Based solely on his like his point production, his stats, I, I think five point two for a guy who's twenty three, twenty four, who can improve, most likely will play with Hall and Eichel next year. It, it's it's not the worst. It's just how much money you're going to be paying him next year in arbitration if this continues to happen, right? Like it, like that. This is why you don't want to sign a one year deal in the first year of arbitration because it's just going to keep getting worse and worse for you. I get it. Yeah, like it's arbitration is definitely a really weird type of thing just because like how do I put this? You kind of go into a room and you kind of just shit on your own player a little bit. You know what I mean? Well, like it, it, I feel Jack like sorry, Sam Reinhardt's going to be similar to like the MLB process where every like you have those years of arbitration, but like you're going to be going in every year with Sam Reinhardt. Like the fact that you couldn't get like a deal done to buy out some arb years in his first year of arbitration, it's kind of worrisome because it just means that for the next three years, if he's still on your team, are you going to go through this process every year? And then I, I know this this is a real hot take. If this is a broken relationship, is there another player out there who is also in a broken relationship that you might just swap and see if maybe you guys can um, solve each other's problems? Mm-hmm. Usually when you have this, you have something in mind. Usually this is you trying to like hint, drop a few nuggets. So what, what are you trying to, to bring up here? Well, like, like, as I said before, this is Sam Reinhardt's first year of arbitration. Already he's settling for a one-year deal. He's not, he thinks that he can, you know, get more. And it looks like Buffalo isn't willing to pay that price and are willing to go for another year of arbitration. Um, yeah. 
I'm looking over at Winnipeg. Uh, Patrick Laine. Oh. Could this be a swap in the future? Like, if Buffalo thinks that they are a team, could a Laine Eichel look good? Yes, you might be paying both those guys double-digit uh, contracts, but does this not solve a problem for both of them? If like I, We're just guessing that there's a problem between Sam Reinhardt and Buffalo Sabres. I just think like it's we don't we haven't heard any news that there's been any like animosity between the two, but you know both were former second overall picks. Um, both don't seem to be valued by two teams based on what we can see in their contracts. So is there a potential move that could happen? So I don't know. Line A and Reinhardt swapped. I'm sure there's other pieces moving, but that's something I could be interested in seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, you know. Speaking of what we did, we mentioned before, we kind of, kind of agree that like, it's not too much going on in the NHL right now. <laughs> so, with that being said, Jeffrey, do you have any other things you want to talk about today? I don't know. I you didn't you didn't seem as surprised about that line of Reinhardt um, hot take. So you know maybe uh, it wasn't that. I don't think that's that all of a take, man. I think that's a pretty reasonable take. Uh, have there I been, genuinely think it's a reasonable take. Have there been any rumors of Patrick Liney and Sabers at all? Because I, like it, it just seems to me like that could be like a fairly like reasonable move if there is like a broken relationship between Sam Reinhardt and the Sabers. Yeah, I, I don't think there's been too many too many rumors. No, probably not. And you know, I I think with the with the Sabers too, right? Like this this is a Sunday. What day? I don't even know what day it is. But this could Sam Reinhardt could be the only news this Sunday too. So like we're gonna have to be struggling. We're gonna have like seven pieces of transaction each week. I don't even know. Do we want to record next week, Austin? Uh, I'm not sure. It depends on you. So why don't we? Why don't follow our Twitter account? And we'll let you guys know as soon as possible. Did you uh post our last episode last week? I did post our last episode, Jeffrey. Did you? How how many days late? I I told you it was going to be uh you know. Uh, you know, I was gonna do it right away. And same thing today. We're gonna aim to have an episode, you know, posted right after uh, we record. But uh, Mr. Olsen, we don't talk about when I did it. I just did. It. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. So four days, four days ago. When was that? So, so yeah. Jeffrey, where are you looking it up? Where can our listeners find out whether I tweeted it or not? I'm looking at it on my broken uh, Samsung A8 phone. That's where I'm, lo- I'm but looking. What up. website did you use to find if we did or not, Jeffrey? I am not using a website. I am using the Twitter app. Twitter app? What's our Twitter, Jeffrey? Well, Sid, why don't I tell you? Our Twitter is at BOP underscore POD. The Bag of so podcast. To get the answer. <laughs> that answer is so difficult to get out of you. No, you know, you, you just got to prompt me a little bit more. I, I didn't know where you're going, you know. Also, I I'm, I, I got to play dumb once in a while. Play. Okay, Jeffrey. Um, with that being said, Jeffrey, any other words you want to talk about? Um, I just want to say that if we don't get to talk to you guys next week, uh, have a safe and happy uh, Halloween if you celebrate Halloween. And make sure you change your clocks next week as well. Wow. Um. 10 times less serious than Jeffrey. Um, enjoy Halloween. And for people like me who are a little too old to celebrate Halloween, you know, go trick-or-treating. Enjoy November 1st morning. If you're too young for that joke, trust me, you'll know in a few years. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we love you all and wash your damn hands. And vote. <laughs> we don't talk to you next week. Vote. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 
if we don't, especially if we don't talk to you guys next week, make sure you guys vote our American listeners. Don't forget. Our Canadian listeners, if you voted in the BC election last night or last, yesterday, good for you. If you're in Saskatchewan listening, I think the election's coming up in a couple of days as well. So, uh, yeah, wherever you are, if there's an election, make sure you vote. And um, I don't know about Jeffrey, but I love y'all. I love everyone too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bank Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.